0: going to ask you to remain standing just for a second with your masks on. Um, does anybody here know what today is besides Sunday? Today is the one-year anniversary of the last Sunday where we were all able to meet together, seven fifty, eight hundred, whatever it was on that day, strong in, in worship. It has been a year and we're starting to come back and I thought today would be a good day What what I'd really like for you to do is I want you to turn around and look at everybody and just be reminded that we're part of of a body. Turn around and look at each other. and You can point to other people. In fact, uh, if all eyes up here for just a second, if you'll look up, you'll see a clock up there in the balcony. If you'll wave to everyone that is live streaming, they're a part of this as well. And while you're doing all of this, I just want to remind you that we're not a building, but we're a body. We're the body of Christ. We're not just a crowd, but we are the family of God. And I want you to turn around and look at each other again, and I want you in a whisper to say over and over and over, as you look at all of the people in this room and think about those that are live streaming, I want you to say in a whisper, these are my people, these are my people, these are my people, these are my people, these are my people. And now you can be seated and you can take the mask off. As you know, we're in a series that I'm calling All for One. And it's based on this scripture out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now Paul is saying a lot of things about the nature of the church in that verse, but one of the things that he's saying is that we as the body of Christ, as individual members, people, we should be so connected to each other that it looks like one body. And when we are healthy as His body, the body of Christ in the world, it is as if Jesus never left. Now when you think about that, that is a daunting statement. That is an audacious statement. But Paul says that is the reality of being the church in the world today. And the writers of the Christian scriptures have given us a health plan for the body of Christ to be healthy. And we call these the one another passages. And we've already looked at two in this series. The first one is love one another. Jesus in John 13 says to his disciples, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And it's by this love, the way that I have loved you, that that people will know, that everyone will know, that the world will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. The point being that as a church, we want to be the most loving place on earth. We want to be the most loving place in San Antonio. We want to be the kind of place that has a reputation that when you go there, you're going to encounter people who will love you like you have never been loved by anybody else in this world. A second one another passage was written by James, the brother of Jesus. In that general letter he wrote to the church, there towards the end, James chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Pray for each other. One of the ways that we love one another is when we, and this is a profound demonstration or manifestation of that love, is when we go to the Father and pray into His ear, we speak into the ear of God our concerns and the names of the people that we love who are part of the body of Christ. We are going to God to get blessing for them that could never be done by us but can only be done by God. Now, so we love each other. We pray for each other. This morning we want to look at another one. And I want to begin with an old, old story that I've told you before. More than a hundred years ago, there is this man that is bitten by a dog. The dog turns out to be rabid. He goes to the doctor. The doctor gives him the bad news. Yes, the dog was rabid. You've been infected. And unfortunately, it's incurable and it's terminal. You don't have very much longer. What I would suggest is that you get your affairs in order and write your will. As a man is just stunned as the doctor walks out of the room. After a minute or two, he turns to the nurse and says, Hey, could I have a piece of paper and a pen? And he begins to write feverishly. A couple of minutes later, the doctor comes into the room and says, Man, am I glad that you took that seriously. Uh, you're writing your will. And the guy goes, I'm not writing a will. I'm making a list of all the people I want to bite. We carry around in our mind. Uh, we all carry around in our imagination, in our mind's eye, a list of faces that we would like to punch if we're not diligent to carry out this command, forgive one another. Forgive one another. It's simple, sort of. Paul writes to the church in Colossae, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Paul writes kind of the same thing to a sister church in a sister letter. The letter we call Ephesians chapter 4. At the very end of the last verse of that chapter, he says, Be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other, just as in Christ Jesus God forgave you. In other words, friends... Loving like Jesus means forgiving like Jesus. Love like Jesus means that you're going to forgive like Jesus. Loving and forgiving go hand in hand for disciples of Jesus. And Jesus is the standard for loving. And Jesus is the standard for giving in the body of Christ. Now, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to give you what I hope is kind of a practical path forward when it comes to forgiveness. But before that, I want to spend a couple of minutes just underscoring this really simple fact that I think all of us know intuitively. And that is, forgiving each other is difficult, hard work. It's not easy to forgive somebody that has broken your heart or has dinged your soul a little bit by something they said or something they did or something that they did not do that you expected it is hard emotional work and depending on the degree of that hurt that ding that that torque to your soul it can take some time to get to forgiveness and basically there well i'm There are a lot of obstacles to forgiveness that we're going to encounter in life, in our relationships, regardless of how how profound those or deep those relationships might be. But I want to give you four obstacles that really make uh, make forgiveness difficult for us. And the first one is this. It's good for me, but it's bad for them. Good for me bad for them. In other words, I, I'm not going to forgive. I want forgiveness, and I'm glad. I'm so happy. I come to church every Sunday, and I celebrate the fact that I've been forgiven by Jesus, but I'm not going to be satisfied in forgiving somebody else until I've had my pound of flesh. It's good for me, but it's bad for them. I've referenced over the years uh, a fellow by the name of Frederick Beaconer. A couple of decades ago, he wrote a book that to this day, I think, just resonates. And He writes on anger, and I quote, Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast for a king. The chief drawback is that what you're wolfing down is yourself. The the skeleton at the feast is you. End of quote. It's good for them, or it's good for me, but it's bad for them. Number two, forgiving means forgetting. That I'm never going to be able to forgive somebody until I forget what they did to me or what they said to me or what they didn't do to me. Forgiving means forgetting. You know, the problem with that kind of thing is that God doesn't ever mention the forgetting part in forgiveness. In fact, God has given us such tremendous and incredible memories that a lot of us are going to go to our grave with some really horrific, some awful memories and hurts. But that does not mean that God does not bring healing to the wounds that have been inflicted upon our hearts and upon our souls. God does heal people. He does bring healing. But that does not mean that the scars are going to disappear for a lot of those grievances. Number three, the need to blame. The need to blame. I want to tread rather lightly here. But you know, sometimes holding a grudge is a cover for a low self-esteem. You know, they say that uh, it's lonely at the top, but it's not at the bottom as we like crabs are trying to pull everybody back down on top of us, at the bottom of that basket. I can only feel better about myself when I can blame you or blame other people or feel good about myself when I feel bad about somebody else. Is a horrible way to live, friends. And then the last one is this, that forgiveness is synonymous with reconciliation, which translates into, uh, I just got to forgive and I got to be reconciled, and so the pain that I feel and the hurt that I feel doesn't, doesn't really matter. That is far from the truth. Forgiveness is not synonymous with, with reconciliation forgiveness does not mean reconciliation but it is a means to reconciliation to to all of these i mean and to all of you and to all of us here in the body of christ as we try to live out the implications of what paul said to the church in Colossians and to ephesus and what jesus taught us to pray it the struggle to forgive is real Nobody denies that. It is hard, emotional work, and it takes sometimes a long time to get past it to the place where you say, okay, I think forgiveness is happening. But the reality of the heart of a disciple of Jesus is love. That unique Christ-like love expressed in forgiveness. And not only do we have to take those obstacles very seriously, but there is a liability that is all over the New Testament, all over the Christian scriptures, when it comes to forgiveness and unforgiveness. The liability is this. Forgiveness, brothers and sisters, is a matter of heaven or hell for you and me. Forgiveness is a matter of heaven or hell. Forgiveness is one of the most underdeveloped life skills humans have. And that's why we struggle with it. But beyond that, it carries with it liabilities, not just liabilities in the present, in our present relationships, but it carries liabilities, more importantly, with our relationship to God into the future and into eternity. You know, one day in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is with his disciples. He's teaching. Peter wants to be at the head of the class, basically raises his hand. Jesus calls on him and he says, "Uh, Master, how many times should I forgive somebody that sins against me? Now, during this period of time, the rabbis were teaching that you forgive somebody three times, and the fourth time they don't really deserve it. It's up to you. So Peter has basically doubled it and says, How many times should I forgive somebody that has sinned against me? Should I do it seven times? And Peter is thinking that he's about to get a gold star on his forehead because Jesus is going to say, Wow, you get it. And Jesus says, Yeah, you know, this is a pretty good question. But the real answer, Peter, is not seven times, but really seven times seventy. Which means forgiveness is, is something that you have to do all of your life. You have to work at it. That you never stop forgiving. That forgiveness becomes a lifestyle for us, disciples of Jesus. And beginning there, he tells the parable of the unmerciful servant. There's this servant who owes the king this astronomical amount of money. He's never going to be able to pay it back in a in hundred lifetimes. I mean, it's just such an outrageous number that the only thing he can ask for is forgiveness of the debt. And that's what he does. He asks for the forgiveness of this debt, this astronomical debt, that is not only going to land him in prison, but it's also going to enslave his family forever and ever and ever. And so he asks forgiveness. And the king, I mean, he's begging forgiveness and the king has mercy in his heart and he, 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 he forgives the debt. Everybody in the court is just shocked. I mean, who in the world has ever heard of this? And the servant walks outside, and he's just so relieved. I mean, he's not going to be in prison. His family's not going to be in prison. This debt that he was never going to pay out, that he would never be able to enjoy a vacation or anything ever for the rest of his life, that's all been forgiven. And as he's walking down the street, here comes this guy that owes him a couple of dollars for a Starbucks coffee. And he grabs that guy and says, I let you borrow $5 this last week. Where's that money? The guy goes, I don't have it on me. And he begins to shake him, he begins to berate him, and he begins to beat him. And all of the other people around who knew how he had been forgiven see this, they're incensed, they go tell the king. The king gets angry and sends the guys out to go bring that unmerciful servant back in. And he says, you wicked servant. Wickedness and unforgiveness go hand in hand. You wicked servant, I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had in you? Forgive as you have been forgiven in Christ. Just as I had on you. And in anger, you want to know what hacks God off? Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Then Jesus says to his disciples and to Peter, who's thinking, Man, seven, I'm good, I'm, I'm, I've got this. He says, This is how your heavenly father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. From your heart, which means work. Friends, I don't know what God or the Christ or the writers of the Christian scriptures have to say or do or illustrate for us to take forgiveness seriously. Especially within the body of Christ. It is, it is work, it is serious work that needs to be taken seriously. Seriously. And we're going to define forgiveness this way so that you know this week you can think about it in, in, a, in a certain vein, and this is how we're going to define it. Forgiveness is clearing the heart of reasons to not show mercy to another person. Forgiveness is clearing, it's the work of, of clearing, of weeding, of cutting away the reasons in the heart that say, do not show mercy to this brother or sister. And believe it or not, it begins with this. And it's the the first thing we we have to do is just to be honest about the hurt. To be honest about the hurt. You know, um, I was I was a wrestler. uh, You know, for a lot lot of years, and uh, uh, you know, ended up. You know, I I never got hurt out on uh, in in a dual meet, but I always got hurt at practice. And uh, there was my junior year, I'm wrestling this cat, and. Uh, I'm about to put him on his back, and he doesn't want to go there, so he throws an elbow, he hits this tooth right here. and that. I mean, he knocked that tooth sideways. And that tooth, like this, it goes back like this now. My brain knew immediately that something was wrong. My eyeballs knew something was wrong because I was seeing stars. My lungs knew something was wrong because I was gasping for breath. And everybody in the body knew that something was wrong, but suppose that tooth said, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. Hey, nothing wrong here. Nothing okay. To this day, I would be up here preaching with a tooth pointing to the west. We've we've got to be honest about the hurts. Lewis Smead writes, we do not excuse the person we forgive. We blame the person we forgive. And if we are not honest about the hurt, that pain that we feel in our soul and in our heart will fester until it infects and affects everything. We've got to acknowledge the debt. We've got to say at some point, you know what? That really hurt me. That insulted me. That hurt my feet. That broke my heart. That bummed me out. Whatever it is, we have to be honest about the hurt. And quite frankly, sometimes the hurt is so profound that you need to be honest with it because you need someone to help you shoulder the pain of that hurt. Friends, there's nothing more lonely than being alone in suffering. We've got to be honest about the hurt. Don't hide the hurt. And then number two... We have to decide the answer to the question, what does love demand? What does love demand? Now, I, you know, I want to repeat that forgiveness does not mean automatic reconciliation, swift reconciliation, or even possible reconciliation. There is no reconciliation without repentance. And there is no true reconciliation without the hard work and sometimes long process of two people working through forgiveness and repentance, which is the change of behavior. With that said, there are three words in the Bible that mean more to me than ever before. Three simple words. God is love. This is not God tolerating humans. God is love does not mean that, that God is not going to lower the boom on somebody, but they're going to go their way and God's going to go His way. Our What this means, when John says God is love, it means that God is willing our good, meaning our forgiveness, in order that through repentance we can be reconciled to Him. Our forgiveness necessitated a cross that was mounted by the Son of God in love, and it's that love that kept Jesus on the cross until He uttered the words, It is finished. And the cross, and that sacrifice, everything gets forgiven everything everything now there is no reconciliation with god no salvation with god without repentance as you know and some other things but the cross means that everything gets forgiven and then the third thing and the last thing is this you got to let them go there comes a point in working through the processes of forgiveness working through the pain, working through the agony, praying to God about the relationship, there comes a point where you let them go the way that the king let the servant go, even though it was an astronomical debt. And that's not an easy thing to do. And again, I'll say it this way. you know, Forgiveness is just absolutely hard work. But it is one of the things that goes hand in hand with loving People the way that Jesus loved you and the way that Jesus loved people. I mean, how in the world are we ever going to say that the gospel has validity if the validity of the gospel and our forgiveness and the cleaning of our soul in order for God to have mercy with us and us with us? If that does not happen here, how does anybody outside of these walls ever believe that the gospel can be true for them? If we are not reconciled to each other and forgiving each other and working towards oneness whereas the body of Christ we look like one rather than broken up all over the place how is anybody going to believe that the gospel has power that the gospel is love that God is love that the cross as hideous of a way to die as that was that it is about love and about reconciliation because forgiveness is possible God has cleared the way for us to be reconciled to Him through His mercy. Are we not going to clear the way through forgiveness of all of the obstacles to reconciliation with each other in order to be reconciled through mercy? This is why God gets angry. This is why God gets angry. And this is why forgiveness, forgiving one another, is important. I want you to put your masks back on and then stand and sing.